Um, so I'm, I'm really honored to be with you all today. Uh, also, uh, just wanted to say uh, thanks to Matt and uh, th those at Grace Northridge here who have enabled me to um, grow and learn and train as a pastor uh, and to do all that while at the same time um, being able to run a small furniture business where I continue to develop my craft and my trade as a woodworker. Um, to be able to do both of those things uh, every week is, is nourishing to my soul. Um, and it's a major reason that this idea of revival in the arts, the connection between um, creativity and uh, pastoral ministry, um, as well as the chance to, to share the gospel with others is, is real, a passion of mine. Um, before I jump into all of that, I want to make one disclaimer, um, because I think it might apply to some of you too. Um, I really struggle to identify myself as an artist. Um, like, I, I, do, I don't call myself an artist. I don't associate with that word in a lot of ways. And I have good friends who I consider artists who tell me that I'm artistic, but I struggle um, to take that name on. Um, and, and the reason for that, I think, is because I have a, I've always had sort of a narrow understanding of what art is. Um, and as a kid, I was not particularly good at drawing. I'm still not very good at drawing. Um, I, I couldn't paint very well. If you've ever sat next to me in church, you know that I don't really stay in key. Um, I, I, was no, I was no great proficient at when I picked up an instrument. It didn't just magically come to me. Um, and... Uh, Again, if, you've ever, if you ever want proof of this, uh, my wife, I think, has it, but I cannot dance at all. Um, I cannot hold rhythm. Um, and so all those categories that classically fit into my head as artistic things, I wasn't good at. Uh, and so as a, um, the, the problem, though, is that be, because I, I didn't consider myself artistic, I also didn't consider myself creative, um, and I also didn't know that I, I had creative gifting. Um, but the reality is we, we all have creative gifting. And so um, this morning, I just invite you to just sort of reconsider. If you've ever felt like, man, I really struggle uh, to be creative because I don't produce beautiful paintings, I'd, I'd, I'd invite you to reconsider this morning or this afternoon. Um, but let's pray, um, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this afternoon, for the chance and the privilege uh, to reflect on one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture um, this idea that we are created in your image, Lord. And as people who bear your image, Lord, we want to we bear it well. Uh, we want to bring you honor and glory um, by doing the things that you have given us, and us especially, the ability to do. Uh, Lord, um, I pray that you would expand our imaginations today for how we might engage in art and engage in creating uh, to minister to those around us, uh, and ultimately how, uh, through the creative process, we might love God and our neighbors better. Now we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I really, as I prayed about this and thought about what it was um, God was asking me to share, uh, the, the, the biggest takeaway, um, I think, is this. Creativity is an essential part of what it means to be human. And the better we engage with that, um, the better we'll love God and our neighbors. Um, if there's one thing you take away, I hope you take that away. Um, and here's how I know. Um, Genesis 1, this is, this is really good news. Um, after uh, creating uh, the heavens and the earth, uh, after dividing the land from the sea, um, creating the animals and the seed-bearing plants, um, it says this in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky. 
over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And our passage concludes with this. It says, and it was so. God saw that all he had made, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Um, in this passage, we, um, we get a theological concept uh, that you could spend the next year studying and you wouldn't run out of material. Um, it's the concept of Imago Dei, um, being made in God's image. Um, and what it ultimately boils down to is that um, there are certain traits, there are certain qualities um, that God gave to humanity that reflect him, uh, that reflect his goodness, that reflect um, his beauty. Um, and when we steward those things, when we use them in a way that honors God and honors our neighbor, we actually can glorify God. And people can see God's fingerprints on our lives and through our work. Um, it's a really amazing concept, an amazing idea. Um, in the passage here, we see that um, God has given humanity two primary roles right from the beginning. And I think in each of these roles, we see reflections of the image of God. Um, the first role is, is stewardship. Um, God says, I, I'm giving to you all of creation, the animals, the plants, and you are to take care of them like a good steward, um, not to abuse them, uh, but to, to care for them. And uh, there's an incredible reality in, um, I, I always find it so fascinating that it says seed-bearing plants, um, seed-bearing fruits, and this idea that, that creation begins and it will continue. Um, God set something in motion and he's given us a, a, a partnership in the, in the act of, of stewarding that creation. Um, the second piece, and I think this is more central to what I hope we talk about today, the second thing that God um, commands humanity to do is to be fruitful. Now, um, the, the most obvious uh, thing that this is pointing to is uh, having children, right? Um, uh, procreating, right? The fill the earth with other humans, right? That's what it's talking about when he says be fruitful. But I think it actually goes beyond that too, right? This idea of, again, seed-bearing plants, being able to cultivate the land, taking the things that God has given uh, and continuing to create. Um, so when we do that, we show people uh, a, a picture of what God is like. Um, now, there, there's one caveat I think we need to always remember, and that is... Um, God is the creator, period, right? Um, God is the only one who creates from nothing, right? Um, God doesn't have raw materials that he's starting with in creation. Um, it, it flows from him, and that's beautiful. Um, and, and we have the opportunity to take that and to recreate, to repurpose, to make uh, from those things. And again, in that way, we partner with God and we can bring glory to him. Um, so I, I think there, there are two things, though, that I, I want us to... to think about as it relates to being made in God's image and as it relates to creativity. Uh, again, I, I think many of us um, are underutilizing our creative gifts, and I think that these two things play into that. Um, the first is we tend to value product over process. 
Um, so this is what I did when I was young. Um, I wasn't very good at drawing. The product wasn't good. And so I didn't engage the process. Um, I had this false assumption that um, I, could, I was either going to be good or not, and it would be right away that I would know that, um, that I would just be born painting. In fact, I had a good friend who was a great guitarist, and I used to always tell him, man, I wish I could play a musical instrument. And he would go bonkers. He would get so mad. He's like, these, these calluses, I wasn't born with these calluses, right? Like, I worked and worked and worked. I engaged the process before the product was something that was worth looking at or, or had much merit. Um, the reality is we image God just in, in just a mu- it's just as significant the fact that we are creating as it is anything that we could create, right? And the reality is nothing we could create will be as beautiful as what the Lord has created. So if that's our measure, we can just forget about it. Um, but it's the act of creating that is uh, how we image God. And so I think we need to remember that to not overvalue the, the final product, but also to value the process. Um, the second thing is this. In this story, we see um, two beautiful instances of community. Um, the first is within God himself, right? God, we know from the rest of scripture, um, is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one of the most captivating ideas that I ever came across in my theological study uh, was this idea that the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, is over, overflows and results in creation, right? So this idea that that, that love, uh, in any love, um, produces, uh, produces something beautiful, right? Um, that, that creation is... is is they couldn't contain it within themselves. They didn't only want to share that love, but also invited all of creation to share that with them and to glorify God in that. Um, so there's an act of community in the Godhead. So God creates in community. Um, but also it's, it says very specifically that in his own image, he made them male and female, he created them. Um, and that is the, that what I see from that particular passage is that None of us embody all the qualities and traits uh, by ourselves that, that, that God has given to us as humanity. But it's actually in community um, that we get a representative sample of some of those beautiful qualities and traits of God. Um, and so I think another reason that many of us struggle to create or make time for creating is because we do it in isolation um, and we don't have people to encourage us and to come alongside of us. Um, and so I think if we're to move forward, those are some things to consider. Um, so if it's true that we're created in God's image, um, that we have this unique ability to create, and in doing so, we glorify God, why is it so hard for so many of us to engage in creativity on a regular basis? Um, I, I think at least one major explanation for this is that we live in largely a left-brained society, and our churches um, reflect this. Um, so there's a theory um, in psychology that, there, that the two sides of our brains are responsible for two different types of cognitive functioning, uh, right? In fact, if it's fascinating uh, if, you, if you have ever studied psychology that there, there are these things called PET scans, right? And PET scans can actually see which part of your brain is consuming the sugars that your brain has to, to function, which part of the brain lights up when you do a certain task or a certain function. And so this is how they figured out that the left side and the right side actually do different kinds of things. Um, the left side is the really analytical side, right? It involves logic, concepts, 
abstract thinking. Um, this is where we produce most of our language. Um, and it's also, uh, the, it's also the source when we, when we, when we reason or, or make an argument. That's the side of our brain we're using. Um, the right side, by contrast, uh, is, uh, involves intuition, um, emotions, imagination. Uh, it's where we process um, and create art, music, and poetry. Um, and it's also where we um, reflect on our experiences. Um, now, if I had to poll you real quickly, um, I, I, if I had to quiz you, I think you probably could tell me the answer to this. Wh- which, of, which side of the brain was most employed when making this chart? Yeah, the left, right? Um, I looked on Pinterest, and I found a better chart, right? A more, a more balanced version um, that, that incorporates both the left and the right side of the brain, right? One that shows um, pictures and images. I mean, even down to this, um, obviously, this person was using the left side of the brain when they put this, this kind of graph, these cells, right? Like, it's, it's so ordered and so orderly, right? And on the other side, it's just, it's exploding with color. Um, and, and the reality is, we don't need to use the left or the right. We need to use both, right? Um, we have the words here that help us understand, but we also have the pictures. Um, and when we have that, we actually engage this concept not just with our brains, but also with our, our hearts uh, and potentially with our hands. Um, my, what I would argue is, on, on the whole, uh, other researchers have said, on the whole, societies tend to favor one or the other. And I think that his, for the last 40, 50 years, our society has tended to favor the left side. Um, that most of us work in professions that require the left side of our brain a lot more than the right. Um, and even those of us who have a chance to create, at this point with computers and, and the, the tools we have to create things, the majority of what we create is intangible. It still has some sort of a- abstract component to it. We can't touch it. We can't see it right in front of us, right? And so I would argue that there's an essential part of being human that we can't engage with on a regular basis in our work. Um, The other other thing that we see, and and it makes sense because usually education follows the economy, Um, we've seen on the whole that arts education has been pulled from a lot of schools. Um, Now, uh, there are some schools in this area that I think are privileged to not have that be true, but across the country and uh, on the whole, Funding for arts education has dropped. Vocational training programs, shop classes have largely disappeared from schools. Um, And so uh, there are not as many opportunities to engage it uh, as a student either. Um, I I think we also see the effects of this in the church, right? As a result of the enlightenment, um, there has been an emphasis in the church on ideas and doctrines over images and allegories, um, we, we've, we're really fascinated by words, um, and, and we focus a lot of our time on trying to rationally proving God. Um, but I think on the, on the whole, um, we can miss the mark when we're so imbalanced. Um, I think one other evidence of this in the church is, for the most part, um, now we're an exception here at Grace, which I'm grateful for, for the most part, stained glass is, is not part of new church construction, right? Um, the, the images, if you go into, uh, you know, maybe an, an older cathedral or something like that, you see images all around it that really tell the whole story of God, right? Um, you know, an image of Noah's Ark, an image uh, for Moses crossing the sea, you know, these different images that, that surround uh, the church. And we could argue that today we don't need them like they needed them then, right? Because when they built those cathedrals, for the most part, people were illiterate. They couldn't read the Bible, But the reality is, today in our society, in our time, people are biblically illiterate. They can, but don't read the Bible. 
Um, and so I, I think that pushing back, trying to get reclaimed some of the right side of our thinking, some of the artistic, creative side, is actually going to really enhance our faith. Um, so this is not a new idea. This is not something that um, I came up with. Um, there are lots of things happening across our country that's moving back towards that right side. Um, one of the things that I think is really notable and interesting is the do-it-yourself movement, right? You've seen whole networks come out around gardening and making food and remodeling homes, and you know, the list goes on and on. People want to use their hands to do things again. And so that the broader movement is there. And so I think we as the church, um, we can learn from that, um, but we also can learn a lot from returning um, to our roots. Um, there, 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 are, there are many times in which the church has actually had a really good balance of the left and the right. And one of those times that we here at Grace seem to be pretty fascinated by is um, during the, the Celtic uh, evangelistic movement in the fourth century. Um, St. Patrick... Um, was uh, a really interesting, uh, a really interesting church, uh, I guess, hero in, in, in many senses. Um, as a young man, he was taken captivity. He was taken to. He was living in England. He was taken to what is modern day Ireland. Um, he was sold into slavery, um, and he worked uh, for a number of years uh, with the Celtic people as a slave. Um, one day, the Lord freed him from that. He went back to England. He studied uh, theology, and. Uh, one night, he has a dream, and in that dream, um, just like we see uh, in, uh, in the book of Acts, the Macedonians who come to Paul and say, come preach the gospel to us, the people who were once his captors, the Celtic people, appear to him in a dream, and they say, come preach the gospel to us. Um, at, at the time, when he told his um, superiors, hey, I'm, I want to do this, can I have permission, you know, I need the Pope's uh, authority to go do this, um, they, they basically told him, it's not going to work. He basically said, look, these people are too far gone. These are pagans. They don't have the sophisticated thinking of the Roman people. They don't have the classical Greek works that we have that help us think rationally about God. It won't work. But they sent him anyway, and it worked. <laughs> he actually had incredible success, an incredible effect on these people. And it largely was because while he was a slave... He got to understand them. He got to understand their culture. And what he did is he took the best of what he had learned from the Roman church, and he took the best of the images and the, the culture that he had learned from the Celtic people, and he combined them together, and he found a way to communicate the gospel in a way that they understood and resulted in an incredible conversion of the people uh, to Christianity. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a quote I want to read from George Hunter's treatment of this work that I think is kind of interesting. It sort of sums this up. It says, Celtic Christian communicators spoke from their imaginations to the imaginations of their hearers. They were less interested in the church's Roman wing uh, than the church's Roman wing in apologetics. Uh, they seemed to have believed that if you could make a trish, Christian truth claim clear to people's imagination the people and the Holy Spirit would take it from there, especially if they were already tasting Christian community. Um, up on the screen here, you'll see two symbols that have endured um, this movement. Um, what I didn't realize until I looked into it a little bit more is um, these, uh, especially the knot, these are like reclaimed symbols that were once used uh, in pagan 
worship and pagan understanding, right? They were able to t- he was able to take those things that people already had and use them to explain God in a profound way. Um, the, the knot is um, one of the most fascinating ones. There, there are a number of different um, iterations of this. I think I read like eight or nine different types of knots that mean different things. Uh, but this particular one and many of them um, have this trait of having no clear beginning and no clear ending, right? Um, it's, I have no idea where this starts and where it ends. And what they would do is they'd say, this is how God is. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no ending. Um, they could take the same knot and they could say, hey, if you trust in Jesus, um, he will envelop you in his protection and his care and his love, just like this knot you know, envelops the, the center parts of the rope. Um, they even use it to describe the Trinity, right, from time to time to say that the three are all together in one. Now, try to, try to explain the Trinity rationally. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, I mean, it don't, words only get us so far, but images are powerful, and they, they speak to a deeper sense of, uh, of, of who we are, a more complete sense of who we are. Um, and so I've, I've tried this as a, as a craftsman myself to think, what are the symbols, what are the images that God has given me with my craft that I can use to communicate uh, complex theological truth? And so I, um, I have for you one example. Um, this is a countertop um, that I installed recently in a client's house. And uh, it, uh, you can see this is sort of before um, I finished it, this is after, and this is the process um, thereof. Uh, when I was early on as a woodworker, I became fascinated with the transformation that wood undergoes during the finishing process. Um, that this last little bit, um, oftentimes when you sand wood, it becomes very dull in, in color and appearance. Um, it, especially when it has the actual dust of the, of the sawdust on it, right? Um, but when you add a finish, all this color comes to life. And when I was doing it one time, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, this is what it's like when people receive my spirit. What he said was, the beauty is there. It's latent energy, it's there. God made all of us, no matter how uh, far gone uh, somebody seems to be, God made all of us in his image. And there is within us beauty from God um, that is obscured by sin and obscured by selfishness and certain activities and behaviors that are not helpful for us or others. But the beauty is there. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it pops uh, in the same way that the oil going on the wood makes it pop. Um, this uh, is just one of many things the Lord has, has given me through the act of creating. And what's really cool to me is when uh, a year ago, when I was, or I guess two years ago, when I was in California and I was mentoring these three, uh, four high school students, um, we actually made a cutting board together. And on the last day of class, we oiled it. And when we oiled it, I shared with them that reflection. Um, I, I don't think these 15-year-old boys would have engaged with me in a conversation about the Holy Spirit if I was just talking, uh, if I was only using words. But the image and the fact that they themselves wiped uh, oil on the board, it, it, it made it real to them, and it communicated the gospel in a, in a, in a unique way. Um, I think we all have the potential to do that. And so I just want to share with you, um, kind of in light of these things, in light of this need... Um, to create as part of what it is to be, uh, as an essential part of what it is to be human. Uh, and 
in the fact that we are desiring to move more to a right brain um, kind of uh, expression in the church, I want to share with you just a little bit about what we're doing here at Grace. Um, just one small expression of, of so what? You know, what do you do with this information and this idea? So we're in the process now of trying to uh, create uh, a makerspace. Um, a makerspace is not, uh, is, is not a, a church um, idea. It's a model that uh, started popping up, I think, even as um, is, uh, far back as 20 years ago. But they're, they're gaining steam. They're basically places where people can come together and share space, share equipment, share knowledge, and experience community around craft, right? There are many barriers to creating, and one of those are, uh, a lot of the physical barriers are overcome um, in a makerspace. And so it's our, it's our desire um, to turn this building right behind us um, into a functioning makerspace, and then we're in the process of raising funds to do that. Uh, but so much of what we feel the vision and the mission of this space is can be accomplished now. And we want to build it out now. And so we've been having monthly meetups. Uh, we call them makerspace meetups. And we focus, we're focusing currently on three areas and hope eventually to be able to expand. But um, painting and drawing, uh, woodworking, and ceramics. And so far, um, here are the, the, the biggest takeaways um, that we've had. Um, the first is that people are discovering creative gifts that they never knew they had. Um, right, so Steph Nelson um, is uh, awesome, and these are the first two pots that she ever threw, uh, which, you know, to me, if you, you can't see my first two pots, Matt could tell you why, because my second pot didn't make it, right? It just didn't make it. I, I, it, it became a, a, a jumbled mess, right? And so there's clearly, she has some natural aptitude and some, and some inclination towards this, and now she has an avenue to explore this particular um, medium. What's also really neat is, is she's been on our planning team because she's an incredible strategic thinker um, and um, hasn't had a particular gravitation towards any medium. Um, but it's really exciting for me to see her discover that talent. Um, another thing that we're seeing is that uh, on the woodworking side especially, we're making connections with people that otherwise have no connection with the church. Um, through Instagram, through striking up conversations at lumberyards, um, I have made contact with 20 people, and um, at least half of them are from outside of our church, and then at least half of those have no church home at all. Um, but I found that those, especially those with no church home, have been the most committed people to this group because they desire community. Um, they desire fellowship. Um, and I'm really excited to build relationships with them um, that one day could uh, result in, in me sharing the gospel that they would know the Lord and love him. Um, another final thing that I think is really neat is um, on the painting and drawing side, um, we have mostly uh, strong believers in that group. Um, just this last meetup, um, actually Bess Swatner had a chance to read Genesis 1 over the group as they painted, right? And at first, apparently, at first, everyone was stopping and listening, but Bess said, no, 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 I want you to paint while you hear the word spoken over you. What an incredible experience. Um, what, a, what a faith building and promoting experience that is. Um, and so this is just one expression. Um, there are a million ways in which we can engage the arts for the purpose of mission and for loving God and our neighbors. Um, as a, just a kind of final question, I, I want to ask you to think about what's, what's the Lord calling you to do? What's the next faithful step? 
Um, sometimes when I'm, in, when I'm sitting and listening to a presentation, I get to this point and I feel kind of overwhelmed, right? It's like, I think if I, if I can imagine being in your shoes, it would be like, so I'm supposed to learn a new artistic skill. Um, I'm supposed to get good enough at it and do it long enough that I can explain um, the gospel through it. Um, and, and then I'm in a, I need to, you know, uh, win five people to Christ, right? That's a, that's a daunting perspective, right? If you think about that, I, I would be daunted by that. And so I don't think that's what, the Lord doesn't work that way, right? The Lord asks us to take the next faithful step. Um, and he gives us a vision and he gives us the steps to take along the way. And so my question to you is, what's your next faithful step to engage your right brain in the act of loving God and neighbor? And I actually want to give us 30 seconds right now in silence to reflect on that. Um, at the end of that time, I'm going to pray for us. And before you leave today, my challenge to you is to tell one other person what that next faithful step is, right? That, that'll serve as a, as a way of accountability and a way to encourage each other mutually. Um, so just go ahead and, and we'll just enjoy, endure the awkward silence for 30 seconds. Um, think about what's God calling you to do. And so, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for, um, for, for doing what only you can do, Lord, expanding our imaginations, thinking about the possibilities um, of how we can uh, love our neighbors and love you well um, by engaging the traits and qualities that you've given to us, Lord. God, we consider it a privilege to be stewards over this earth, uh, we consider it a privilege to be able to uh, represent you to others uh, by honoring you and using our creative gifting well. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to take that for granted. I pray that you would help us to take that next faithful step, Lord, whether that's um, taking a class uh, to learn a new skill or it's just setting an hour aside a week to engage in the giftings we already know we have. Lord, whether it's calling up a friend who also has an interest in something and saying, hey, let's get together and, and do this thing in community. Um, or if it's coming to a makerspace meetup, what, whatever that next faithful step is, Lord, we ask that you would help us um, to take it. You'd give us the confidence and the courage um, and even give us the excitement um, that comes uh, from engaging this thing that is um, so central um, to what it is to be human. Uh, Lord, we, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you for this afternoon and just ask that you continue to help us grow and develop in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.